Hey, welcome home to Cassidy. My name is Stephen Mitchell, and it is a great joy to be here with you, to be able to celebrate what God is doing and how God is moving in and through us, God's church. Uh, we just celebrated Easter last Sunday, and this Sunday we are back because God is worthy of our worship and worthy of our attention. And because of his worthiness, he makes us worthy and sends us into his world to make a difference on behalf of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you are new here, I just wanted to say welcome. We are so glad that you have chosen to join us on this day, whether online or in person. Uh, we're just excited that you are with us, that you have uh, set aside some time to be present with us, to be present with God, so that we can grow in relationship with one another and in relationship with God. And we want to invite you on a journey to grow in that relationship. We realize we're not perfect but we know the one who is, and that's Jesus Christ. And we want desperately to be made more and more like Jesus so that we can be Jesus in the world, so that we can love people where they are and make a difference in this world right here and right now on behalf of Jesus Christ. Uh, we've been on a journey, folks. We've been on a journey uh, called gospel. We've been, for the past 12 weeks now, we've been talking about gospel, what the gospel message is. What does it mean? What did it mean then? What does it mean now? How do we live into the gospel? And what does it look like to be a part of the gospel? How does the stories uh, that we have heard from 2,000 years ago in, in, be a part of our story? And what does it mean for us? And how do we, how do we live out the gospel right here in modern America or in wherever, whatever part of the world you are in. I wanted to start by asking a question, maybe, maybe making a, a, a note uh, that I noticed this about me. Maybe you're not the same way, uh, but have you ever ha ha been subject to or fallen prey to the involuntary you two? Uh, and involuntary U2 is not a band, although it would be a cool band name. Um, I think U2 is kind of taken. But involuntary U2 is the idea that you respond with U2 involuntarily, that it's not in, in, that you have decided that you're going to do that, uh, that you do it accidentally, involuntarily. Somebody uh, at the checkout counter at the airline is like, hey, have a great flight. And you're like, thanks, U2. <laughs> like they're going to go on a flight with you. Or uh, maybe, maybe you're at a restaurant. This one happens to me all the time. They come to the restaurant. I go to the restaurant and they bring me the meal. Enjoy your meal. Hey, you too. Like I want you to sit down and enjoy my meal with me. No, that's not what I'm asking at all. Um, it, but it's this, it, it voluntarily comes out. Uh, movie theaters. I've had it happen at the movie theater. Enjoy your movie, sir. Uh, you too. Like, no. I'm working, so I'm not going to go. And it's always followed by this awkward moment of silence and your eyes lock and you look at them and they're like, mm, you should have said something different. And I'm like, yeah, I totally should have said something different. And most of the time when it happens to me, I'm like, I don't think I want to be a part of this anymore. Uh, and sometimes I'm like, I think I'm going to go now. I'm just never coming back to this location because I've made a goofball of myself. When it happens with friends, it's even worse. Like I had a friend say, happy birthday. We were going to SeaWorld. Happy birthday. Enjoy your day at SeaWorld. And I was like, thanks, you too. Yeah, it's not their birthday. They're definitely not going to SeaWorld. Uh, but it's also been given to me in response. I remember giving uh, the keys of my car to my son. And I said, here are my keys. Drive safe. And Alex said, 
you too, and took my keys and took off. I was like, I'm not driving anywhere. You have my car. It's that, that awkward moment. And a lot of times, like I said, for me, uh, it's followed by embarrassment. Like, I, sh- I should have said something different. I'm such an igmo. Uh, and so I, I, I like my, my default is I, I don't think I'm ever going back to whatever location it is. And now I'm starting with something kind of silly, kind of fun, uh, because what we're going to talk about is not a whole lot of silly, not a whole lot of fun, because sometimes we say things without thinking um, and it can be humorous, but sometimes when we say things without thinking, it comes from a place of brokenness, that we have been hurt or injured or we felt hurt or injured and we respond in a way that causes others to have pain as well. Sometimes we do it involuntarily, it's accidental, we don't mean to cause pain, and sometimes our hurt and brokenness spurs us to say or do things that cause pain uh, and we intend it for harm. We want to get the better of them. We want to say something that's going to cause them pain uh, so that they know that we're hurt. And because of that, uh, maybe we're no longer welcome. Maybe instead of saying, I'm never going back, uh, we're just never invited back. Uh, You know, it could be something along the lines of not on somebody's Christmas card list anymore, or it could be something so much worse. No longer invited to family events because you've said or done something, or maybe you didn't say or do something. Uh, Maybe it's friends that stop talking to you because you have said or done something, or maybe, maybe you're a parent and you haven't spoken to your child, or maybe you're a child and haven't spoken to a parent because there is some gulf that has developed because of something that was said or something that was done, and it caused this great gulf to develop, and you haven't spoken to them in years. And I think we've all been in that situation uh, one time or another. We've experienced someone hurting us and not wanting to be a part of that, or we've experienced that we have caused somebody else pain intentionally or unintentionally and, and have been removed from a relationship. We've all experienced this in some way. And I think it's in this place of pain and in this place of discomfort, of dissatisfaction, that Peter is living. Peter, the best friend of Jesus at the resurrection, feels like he's no longer good enough to be a part of the disciples. And we have to back up a little bit. I know we've celebrated Easter, but in order for us to understand this story, we have to back up a little bit so that we can, we can get all caught up and remember the things that we've talked about uh, so that we can focus on what's really happening. Uh, and so we're going to back up to that night before Jesus was, uh, was arrested, uh, when the disciples are in the upper room celebrating the Passover meal together with Jesus, and Jesus is telling them, hey, uh, you know, we've celebrated this meal, but there are some bad things that are going to happen. There are some things that are going to happen that is going to cause pain. I am going to be killed. You guys are going to turn away and betray me. And Peter, 
Peter wants Jesus to know that, that he is all in and he would never turn away and betray Jesus. I don't care if I die, I'll, I'll stick with you, Jesus. Uh, and if you know the story, you remember Jesus responds, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, Lord, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. So Peter, uh, Peter tells uh, Jesus, hey, there is no way I'm going to turn away from you, even if I have to die right there with you. And all the other disciples are like, yeah, yeah, us too, even if we have to die, because they don't realize what's truly about to happen. Uh, they don't understand it. And they're told, hey, before the rooster crows three times, Peter, you will disown me. Jesus gets arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And while he's arrested, uh, Judas, his friend, comes and betrays him with a kiss. And they take him to Caiaphas' house, the high priest. And while he's there undergoing his trial... Uh, and I use that term very loosely because it wasn't really a trial, but uh, while he's undergoing his questioning from the high priest, Peter has snuck onto the property. Uh, Peter, who ran off from the, the arrest, shows back up to see what's going on. And we pick the story up in the courtyard of the high priest. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him you also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. You were there, right? I recognize you. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. There's one. Then he went out of the gateway. So he's trying to get away from these people that are, are saying, hey, weren't you with Jesus? Went out from the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath, saying, on my word, as, as, a, as a Jew, whatever it is, I, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter, surely you were one of them. Your accent gives you away. You're a Galilean. We can tell by the way you talk. And then Peter trying to prove to them that it wasn't him, uh, calls down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter rejected and betrayed Jesus, and he knew it. I, I imagine that Jesus and Peter's eyes lock when the rooster is crowing, and Peter knows that he has betrayed Jesus. He remembers his oath to Jesus that even I would even die with you, and he's heartbroken because he has failed his friend he has failed his Lord. He has failed his master. He believes that he has failed Jesus so fundamentally that he is no longer one of the disciples. 
that he isn't worthy of being called a disciple because he has broken the trust of the master, his teacher, his rabbi, Jesus. He has betrayed him so deeply that he believes that he is not even one of the disciples any longer. That's why in Mark's gospel at the resurrection, uh, she's told, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter because Peter doesn't believe himself to be a disciple. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Make sure Peter is there Uh, And and Peter and the disciples go to Jerusalem. They return home. They go back to fishing. They're they're on the shore of the Sea of Galilee coming in from, from fishing when they see a guy on the shore of the Sea of Galilee after Jesus' resurrection. Um, but they don't, they haven't interacted with Jesus yet, uh, but they've heard the stories. And so they're waiting on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And I'm pretty sure they're not expecting too much that they're expecting that their lives have gone back, that this crazy religious fervor in their lives is, is all done, and now they're just going back to their old lives. But then a guy on the shore says, hey, you should let your nets down right there. And Peter, uh, maybe he's just tired. Maybe he's just like, yeah, sure, whatever. We didn't catch a whole lot last night, so let's just give it a shot. They throw their nets down. And once again, there is a miraculous catch. The nets are so full, and John turns to Peter and says, it's the Lord. It's Jesus. Because they remember when they were in the boat, and Jesus had preached from the boat, and Jesus told Peter, let your nets down, and Peter did it, and the nets were filled to overflowing, so much so that two boats had to come over to try and save the catch. And in this moment, Peter knows that it's Jesus and he abandons everything. He abandons himself. He abandons the ship and and the people on it. He runs from the boat, jumps into the water and charges forward to find Jesus, sloshing and slogging his way up to the shore to be once again in the presence of his friend who he loves, maybe even to say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so glad you're here. I just want you to know I will never do that again. And he runs up to the shore and I can see the embrace of Jesus by Peter holding fast, longing to be in the presence of his Lord and master once again. And Jesus says, hey guys, I've missed you. Let's, let's have some breakfast. I've cooked some fish they, they're easy for me. <laughs> he has a fire and there's fish and, and the disciples have gathered around the fire and Jesus is in their presence, eating with them, sharing life with them. Once again, the resurrected Christ is in their midst and it is just like old times, only better because they know something new about Jesus, that he is alive. And then after they finished eating, Peter and Jesus go away from the rest of the disciples. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the disciples? I remember your heart. 
you like to be brash. You like to say things, and you like to own up to things even that you can't fulfill. Do you love me more than all of my disciples? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. You got you to gotta know that Peter is starting to feel, feel good in this moment that Peter has been drawn away by Jesus for this conversation. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Uh, It's almost like he's able to say the words that he longs so deeply to say, I'm sorry I abandoned you. I'm sorry I denied you. I'm sorry for that night. Um, But Jesus gets there first and says, do you love me? And then a few moments later, they keep walking Again, Jesus said to Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And they continue a little further. And the third time he said to him, Jesus said to Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him, the third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You know all things. You know that I love you. He was hurt because he was asked the third time. He was hurt because Jesus was saying, do you remember your betrayal? You betrayed me three times, and so I ask you, three times if you love me. I think Jesus was also saying, you remember your betrayal, but you need to let it go. You have received grace from me. You have received restoration. You have received a new mission from me. I am sending you to take care of those that will come into relationship because of my life, death, and resurrection. That Jesus is restoring the, the life of Peter. That Jesus is restoring his place with the disciples. That Jesus is restoring his place as the, the rock on which he will build his church. That Jesus has restored already his relationship with the Father. And it is in that grace that that Peter finds hope because Christ restores even those who have betrayed him. Christ restores even those who have turned away. Christ restores those who have never known him and Christ restores those who have done all of the things in life wrong. And so when we look at this story of restoration of Peter, the disciple who turned away, who declared that he didn't even know Jesus three times and Jesus restores him to his place, think of the restoration Jesus has in store for you and for me. And we can can receive Christ's offer of grace. This is the hard part. Being restored into relationship with God means being restored into relationship with God. And and we have to let go 
our past. We can't hold on to our sin and shame, letting it weigh us down because we have been separated from it as far as the east is from the west. We have been freed and liberated from our past. Our brokenness is no longer ours. We have been justified in Jesus Christ. And some of us, because of relationships that we've had, we can wonder, well, how does that restore me to that relationship with my son or my daughter? How does that restore me to that relationship with my parents? How does that restore me to that relationship with my friends or family that I have betrayed and hurt? And I just want you to know that through God's grace, all things are possible. I, I remember when I first became Christian, uh, my dad and I had a tough relationship. I felt like I could never live up to my dad's expectations. Like he had ridiculous expectations and I just wasn't going to bother. And it had really strained our relationship to the point that I didn't enjoy being around him. Uh, You know, I I didn't long for time with him. I didn't want to talk to him. Uh, So much so that they were coming to visit and uh, my dad, because they want to see their grandson, right? And my dad uh, really uh, want, was, was kind of instigating this trip. And I was like, fine, you know, if you want to come, that's fine. I'll be able to go and do work. Y'all can do whatever you want to do. Um, you can hang out with, with everybody else. And, and we don't have to hang out all that much. Um, and so my dad, unbeknownst to me, had also gone through a, an experience with God and become a follower of Jesus. They were coming to visit under the pretext of visiting my son and family, but dad really wanted to share Jesus with me. And so I, I was trying to get off the phone. I didn't want to talk to him. I wasn't ready for that relationship to be restored yet in my head because there was too much water under that bridge. I didn't know about his desire to be more like Jesus. I just knew that I was going to use a Bible study to get off the phone. And I told my dad, I was like, look, dad, I've got a Bible study I'm planning. And my dad, uh, the phone just went silent. And then for the next two or three hours, we talked about Jesus. And, And in a moment, in an instant, a relationship that had been on, on unsolid ground or on rocky ground uh, was restored. In an instant, my passion and my dad's passion aligned and our grace and our love for Jesus united us and restored us to a relationship that we had never had before, not since I was a little bitty. My dad became my best friend and my biggest advocate and my, my strongest cheerleader, even in the most broken of times. This next week, um, we remember my dad's passing, that he went to go and be with Jesus. And while I miss him greatly, the, the gift of that relationship gives me strength and the hope that we will be together in the presence of Jesus, makes all the difference to me. Being restored to God changes you in fundamental ways. 
It changes you because you are now made new. And yes, your sin and shame are separate. That doesn't mean that other people forget all of those things. But the change in you is so profound that everyone starts to notice. God in you can change everything. And so I want to invite you. I want to invite you to receive the grace, the gift that Jesus has to receive restoration to the family of God, to receive that grace and forgiveness and justification that Christ gave to each and every one that will receive it on the cross. And when he was raised, he restores us to relationship so that we might have life in Jesus Christ, so that we might have hope in his name and we might be the sons and daughters that he has in mind for us. So let us embrace life. Let us embrace the hope and the promise that we have in Jesus. And let us be his people called by his name so that we can be restored to him and so that we can share love and grace with others. And may it begin and well up within us so that we can restore even those relationships that we have broken along the way. May the grace of God go with us each and every day. Let's pray. Holy One, we give you thanks. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ and for restoration, for restoration of us into your family, but also for restoring our lives and all of the brokenness that we have done. God, we pray that you would work to undo it, that you would restore relationships with family, with friends, that you would help us not to live from a place of brokenness, but a place of wholeness, that you would inspire us to do what is right in the name of Jesus Christ, and that you would give us grace to share with others so that we're not quick to judge, but instead we are slow to anger, that we become more and more like Jesus each and every moment of each and every day. Let it begin now. And let it continue for all eternity. We pray this in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all of us agreed and said, amen.